All right. It's episode 94 of the podcast. And on the show today, I have Jason Wexler. But before we get to the episode, let's talk about music's biggest night. The Grammys were Sunday night, as usual. I don't know if a lot of people were have been tuning out of those shows as, as of late, or who knows, maybe someone thought that maybe more people were watching the Grammys because they thought something crazy was going to happen like it did at the Oscars. I'm going to skip talking about the slap because it's been talked about uh, at nauseum. I will just say that I can't believe they allowed Will Smith to sit in that theater <laughs> and accept his award. It's unbelievable. Completely ridiculous. But anyway, that's all I'll say about that. So the Grammys was, this is, it's Monday as I'm recording this, and uh, it was last night, and I stayed up. It was great. I really enjoyed it. I really, really did. And the thing that the Grammys did this year, which, uh, which I thought was great, was they took elements from last year's Grammys in which... The, the, it was more. It was just so much more about the performances, and like Trevor Noah at the beginning said, it was like this is going to be like a concert in which they hand out a bunch of awards. And I thought of it uh, with more of an open mind than I normally do. It's it's just there's so much big money and big marketing and stuff into those awards, and uh, I'm definitely not taking anything away from the talent, but you just have to take it for what it is. I would love to be there and, you know, accept an award. <laughs> like it would be a dream come true. So you try not to diminish those things and diminish the, these incredible accomplishments from all of, all of these artists. But there was just, there was a couple notes that I made throughout the night. I thought it was incredible. Um, discover, like I had heard of Olivia Rodrigo, but I never really knew what her music was, was all about. I never really listened to it. Um, and she absolutely crushed it at the Grammys. She performed. She was amazing. So it was really cool to uh, kind of discover her as an artist on that huge stage. I think the absolute um, group that stole the show was uh, Anderson pa- Pac and uh, Pac Pac and uh, Bruno Mars as Silk Sonic. Those guys are <laughs> like everything that an artist and an entertainer should be. Every time they won an award, which was a bunch of times, they got up and did this unbelievable, ridiculous, like, 70s, like, the walk to the stage was unreal. If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube and watch their their uh, uh, award acceptance walk up. It was the best thing ever. It was incredible. Those guys are really, really awesome. That was my favorite part of the night. So... I really loved the Billie Eilish performance. It was cool how the arc of the performance kind of mirrored the arc of 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 a song in in a popular song and what happens and how things just kind of layer on top of each other. Starts off in a room, you don't know exactly where she is and then you realize that she's in this upside down room and then the camera pans back and then you realize there's water all over the floor, it's flooded and then she leaves the room and goes upstairs and then it's the full band, her and her brother Phineas and a drummer, and, and and they're rocking out. And it was cool. She's just a cool artist. She's great. Love her music. She was wearing a Taylor Hawkins shirt, which I thought was a nice tribute. And speaking of tributes, I was pretty 
pretty taken aback by by the in memoriam because it was uh obviously it's so tragic what happened to taylor hawkins and you know we'll go more into depth on a um on a live podcast me and genevieve uh a live stream uh, version of after the gig where we kind of go more in depth of, of the grammys and talk about some some things and um but the in memoriam was was incredible it was beautiful and uh, the singers especially were incredible. Leslie Odin Jr., Cynthia Arivo, Ben Platt, Rachel Zegler. It was it was amazing. If you haven't, um, you know, it's kind of a depressing thing to go back and watch. But if you um, want to see who we lost this year and to, to hear these beautiful uh, voices sing a beautiful tribute to to the people we lost check that out and um i i don't i don't think you will regret it the artists that have been good and been around for a little like the chris stapleton crushed his performance he's so good i was surprised by how little i enjoyed his guitar soloing i thought it didn't it was really uh there's a lot I don't know. The, the tone was bad. I, I didn't like that part of it, but I mean, his voice just, God damn, man. How can anybody have that that voice? It's unbelievable what, uh, what he can do. Brandy Carlisle, also so friggin' good. Her performance was fantastic. Nas. Nas coming up there and just absolutely crushing. It was great. Um, but a, the performance I liked the least... Um, and if you've listened to past episodes, you will know, will not be surprised by this, but um, man, I just can't, I can't get behind Lady Gaga. I can't do it. Her performances to me are just so cringe. It's really, uh, it's t- I, I keep trying to, I get like, you know, she's an artist that means so much to her fans and everything. And uh, obviously, obviously she's been around for a long time and she's gone through many many iterations of herself and, and her persona and, and all that, um, you know, she's incredibly talented, but man, just, there's something, there's something like non-authentic when she's trying to put on the old timey voice doing the Tony Bennett thing and up there. It's just, I don't know. She does, she does things that are too over the top that I think take away from her talent. But guess what? She's up there. I'm not. It doesn't matter. Moving on. If you have any any gripes with anything I've said about the Grammys, send me an email. Afterthegigpod at gmail.com. Um, you can join the Patreon at patreon.com slash afterthegig. And also, we have a merch store, which is afterthegigpod.com, in which we have some new, new, fresh, and new merchandise. Uh, the new tricolor after the gig sweatshirts, the hoodies, the t-shirts, the stickers, all that good stuff. So check that out if you have some time, have some spare change laying around. Anyway, moving on to the episode. So Jason Wexler, we met when I was playing with Stephen Kellogg. He plays piano keys for Stephen. He also plays for the alternate roots. He plays for various artists recording uh, you know, from his, from his home remotely and all that as you do during global pandemic, but he has his solo project, which is called The Chillest, which is a bunch of 22, I believe it's 22 now, 23 maybe, 23 volumes of, we're gonna, we'll give him the extra volume, 
23 volumes of piano covers and they're super chill. They are perfect for, uh, you know, if, if you need some tunes around the house, if you're studying, if, if, uh, if you, you know, some volumes for, if you want to put your kids to bed and have them listen to beautiful piano, well-played, well-arranged, um, go check out the chillest on Spotify and add them to your playlist and just enjoy. It's really, really wonderful. And he just recently came out with, uh, his Disney album, his Disney, uh, piano covers, uh, for the chillest. And, uh, he's working on a original, a project of original music. So Jason is an awesome dude, super talented. And, uh, you know, these tips that he also has on, um, on Spotify and how to get started and what he would do, what he would have done differently at the beginning and, and things like that. Um, how to get streams and, and kind of his road to success in streaming through Spotify. It's very interesting. So please enjoy my conversation with Mr. Jason Wexler. Good. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you. You too. I uh, got a lot of keyboards back there. Some <laughs> yeah. Some might think that you use them. <laughs> so just occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> but you've been busy. You've been busy doing the uh, doing the live, or not live streaming. I'm I'm I have my head on uh, live streaming. You're doing. You're releasing. You know, albums of instrumental music under mm-hmm. the under the guise of the chillest which i like i like that name a lot how did you, you. Yeah. how did you come up with that and and that idea and stuff um it kind of started back in uh it was really like when my second son was born he was born uh in december 2017 um and he like basically screamed for the first six months of his life without oh, no. <laughs> unless he had a bottle or unless he was sleeping he was screaming oh, <laughs> so no. so we were just like you know we were trying anything and everything to get him to chill out um and we kind of found that music helped a little bit mm-hmm. somewhat <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean nothing really helped but <laughs> <laughs> it's like nothing nothing helps you at you know 2 a.m when you're up with the little one oh it was hard screaming. and you know, so I like was trying to find some music that might be specifically made for that purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And I found there's some stuff that they like record with like, you know, kids, uh, I don't know, like little chimey bell sounds and stuff yeah. but that got old very, very quickly. So I oh, was yeah. just, I was like, let me see, maybe there's piano music. And uh, everything I found was like, not exactly chill enough. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know what, I'm just going to record some stuff myself and then we can put that on um and then soon after i was like let me why not put this on spotify and get it up uh on in some other places because if it's if it's helping us maybe it'll help someone else yeah i'm sure you have it on like all day yeah back then for sure it feels weird now when i'm like i'm like you know we could use a little chill atmosphere and i'm like let me listen to my own music which is like (laughs) it's always a little weird but um (laughs) Alexa, play the chillest. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that you say that because there's a huge untapped market, I think, 
for for kids and and chill music like that because mm-hmm. I I 100% agree with you like you know I don't know if you're if you're kids ever watched you know stuff like coco melon or like blippy mm-hmm. and stuff like that but you know if you listen to coco melon the wheels on the bus you know over and over again you might jump off your roof it's really a lot i it, it's a lot of hundreds of hours of coco melon that have happened in my house <laughs> i know and, and the the thing is like i am actually uh my son's on a blippy kick Mm. He loves Monsters Inc. and he loves Blippy. We watch it every day. We have limited time, but we watch those that movie and that dude every day. It's a and, lot. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like the Blippy stuff, he incorporates music, and he also it's all like educational kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't bother me because he used to be. I looked. I kind of looked at the backstory used to be in in the air force so like he'll go he'll go and show how helicopters work and how planes work it's like if you're a parent it's not a bad option too yeah you know other than the coco melons and barney and crap like that but where i was going where i was going with that is that the untapped market for for this type of music like we use uh, a Spotify. We used a Spotify playlist called uh, "Peaceful Piano." Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big one. That one, I mean, I get my end of year Spotify thing, and it's like you listen to Brahms, you know, <laughs> whatever, a hundred and ninety-eight times for yeah. so many hours. It's like mm-hmm. it's on all night, and you know, that's a great, that's a great thing that you did, you know. Uh, yeah and you know cool. it's fun because i feel like a lot of those playlists are like more aimed at like classical like right or, and like the new like neoclassical music and everything so i was like i'd rather do music that i like and that probably a lot of other people like already because i feel like that gives you a little bit more it doesn't feel like you're listening to something that's unfamiliar it makes it more like oh this is my favorite Beatles song except I don't have to like, you know, it's meant for this like super chill time. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely in our rotation now for sure. We'll we'll play it for awesome. Ethan all the time. Um, do you have any other volumes that you're working on to to come out with some more and take over the the chill piano music world? Yeah, yeah. I I generally have been putting out an album every 6 to 8 weeks, which is a little crazy. What? Uh, yeah, so my 22nd album will be coming out uh at the end of this month i guess two weeks from it's going to be february 25th it'll be the the chillest disney whoa um so it's this one is all just like my favorite disney songs my kids favorite disney songs how does that work with licensing um you just get cover licenses when they get released you know it's pretty kind of pay a little flat fee and that's it okay yeah i'm curious because i'm I'm releasing a couple covers in 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 a month or so, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I've never been on, you know, it's, it's usually stuff that's been handled by the band I was in or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing a little research on distro kid and like, distro kid makes it very easy. Is that who you you're with? That's how I used to use. Now I have, okay. um, like an independent label, uh, out in LA that does all my distribution for me. So they handle everything. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. When did that switch? Um, maybe a year year and a half ago something i forget somewhere around there yeah but it Um, makes it it makes it obviously easy for you yeah it's great and they you know they handle all that stuff for me which is nice 
Yeah. How do you get um, the ideas for for what you're gonna release and like do you do any different instrumentation or you know, is it is it pretty quick? It must be pretty quick for you to just kind of line up a bunch of songs and just do a do a few takes, you know? Yeah, I mean, when I first started, I decided it was just going to be piano just because I figured that was like, I, I just figured it didn't really need any of that distraction as far as any right. extra stuff. And I feel like also, if you put any of my music on, you it's like it never all of a sudden is like here's all this different sound it's like right. you kind of put it on and you can leave it on and it's never really going to drastically change texture right uh, or anything but i used to kind of just play the song a few times and pick a take um now i kind of what i've been doing about a year or so into doing this i started doing youtube also so oh, now okay. what i do now i put uh i put together like an actual written arrangement of the song first and then I'll film myself recording a version uh, of, a, you know, just a version of that exact arrangement that I wrote. And then uh, that one is usually the one that ends up on the album. Sometimes I'll do another one that's maybe even a little chiller, a little slower, a little quieter than what's on YouTube. Right. Um, but it's been good, too, because all of those YouTube arrangements and all of those sheets that I make for myself, I also can sell which is awesome. So a lot of people have been buying my arrangements. That's um, awesome. Like, yeah. It's a whole, it's like a whole ecosystem that you've created for yourself. Yeah. You know, it's cool. And that, and you know, that process is a lot harder, the licensing of sheets. So I, I end up going through uh, music notes, which is one of like the, basically the biggest uh, like digital sheet music store in the world. Um, yeah. And they have yeah. a, they have a signature artist program where they will like sign you as one of their artists and release all of your sheet music exclusively on their website. I'm actually on your, your uh, YouTube channel right now. Cause I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very curious about all this. Like I watch a lot of tutorial videos and you know, if I'm ever editing something and I'm trying to work on, I don't know if I'm working on a video, like I'm always on these things. I think they're fascinating, especially um, some of the characters that, that will like teach you stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but this is, this looks great. You know, you have great thumbnails. You got to have a good thumbnail <laughs> and, uh, man, that's great. You have how many subscribers here? It's like over two, almost 3000. That's fucking amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. And it's all, it all looks like it happened within like a year. Yeah. I started, I guess my, my YouTube anniversary, it'll be two years this May. That's awesome. Did you um, find it was hard to to get started and gain some traction? Because some of these videos, you know, a year ago have about like twenty three thousand views. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, you know, something that I've kind of realized recently is a lot of times those like my best performing videos, it takes six months for the algorithm to be like, now I know who to show this to. <laughs> oh, real? Okay. Well, so it's like, it, it gets like a little tiny chunk of views in the beginning from like the people who are actively following what I'm doing. And then like six months later, uh, like, it's like, oh, here we go. Here's, they all explode, we can, yeah. yeah. So that's um, awesome. It's all, YouTube is all about patience. <laughs> right. Is it, that's interesting. That's the first time I've actually heard anyone describe it like that. Yeah. It's, um, it seems like it because whenever, I mean, the stuff that I've, I've still trying to figure out like what I want the after the gig YouTube channel to be. Sometimes I have mm -hmm. live, live streams on there, um, live podcasts and, and, uh, 
you know, just different stuff. It's like, it's just weird to kind of find the niche that that kind of balances between what people want to see or hear and also what kind of makes you happy to post. So yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the catch 22. Um, do you like, how does it work to, with all the Spotify stuff out mm-hmm. right now? Um, do you have any like qualms about uh, the streams and the amount of streams? And I know, you know, I don't know if it's like a, a source of income for you or if it's just a fun thing for you to do that you would like it to be in, in more in the future. But how do well, you feel about all that? You know, I, I absolutely understand all of the things that everybody has. You know, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this is pretty aware of all this kind of music industry stuff a little bit at least as far as the yeah, apprehension sure. with spotify and the low streaming payout and all that stuff yeah um but you know it's i know that it's maybe controversial to talk about it this way but like for me i without spotify i don't know if anyone would have ever found what i was doing um mm. you know if this was 15 years ago like where who's gonna buy my cd of this music and where and it would be very expensive Right, because distribution um, be, would be the, dist- be the licensing. Different. Licensing for physical is a whole other thing. For every album, it would be much more expensive than just the licensing for, uh, you know, for streaming. So, I, to me, it's like this has given me a place where people can find the music. Um, and you know, as it's grown, I mean, this we're coming up on my third anniversary of releasing my first album. It'll be next month. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's really like over the last year, it's grown substantially. Uh, I mean, at at this point, I think, you know, with the last couple of weeks, it's been at least 5,000 people listening every day. Wow. Um, You know, it's been 10 to 15,000 streams every day, which is, which is great. Um, And that's actually, you know, obviously I would prefer the royalties on that to be higher, but uh, that actually becomes somewhat of a significant source of income when you're into that, those kind of numbers, which is great. And, you know, for me, it was like, I knew the rules when I got into this game of publishing right. to the streaming sites. It's like nothing has changed in the last few years. The royalties were super low then, and they're still super low right now. Um, Do you feel like there's a, uh, so the thing that I take from that, and I, I don't think that's a controversial opinion <laughs> at all. Like it's, yeah. it's, so true like things have drastically changed so much that it like i could sit here and record some acoustic guitar go on DistroKid, put it up on the thing and it's out there you know yeah. you could just mm-hmm. i could just put put something anything out there and maybe someone hears it maybe they don't mm-hmm. um but it's gonna be a lot more people just me streaming in my house those songs is gonna be a lot more people than uh than what would have happened otherwise in the past. But when you look at it this way, like, okay, so things have changed. I can't, I almost think that you can't look back at the past and the way it used to be and compare, Mm -hmm. compare what it is now and still have those and just be happy with what's happening versus, versus what, how it used to be in the past. So like, if you look at the streaming culture now, in my opinion, it feels like the industry, the music industry has changed and the players yeah. now are the, are the streaming platforms. Um, 
whether it's Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. And if that is the new music industry, then there needs to be a correction. Like the top people that created the thing, they're they're going to be wealthy. Obviously, you have these yeah. subscriptions every month from tens, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, and there just seems like there needs to be some kind of correction, you know, to, yeah. to, to take it all from here and just let's spread it out a little bit amongst the people actually creating the product that's, that's making them millions of dollars. I absolutely agree. And I mean, some of the models that I've heard other companies talk about, I forget who it was recently, maybe it was Deezer where they said it was, they would kind of actually split the amount of streams that mm-hmm. each person, each artist gets among that specific listener's subscription rate, which seems oh. like a way better way to do it because then you're not just like dividing the pot to like Beyonce and Adele and Ed Sheeran. It's like, you know, if someone pays $10 a month and they mostly listen to you, you get mm-hmm. most of that $10, which it was, would be way better than just getting your like 0.35 cents per stream or whatever it's going to be. Right. That's an interesting, okay. That's an interesting, um, concept. I'm trying to think of like to play devil's advocate, like what, what the other end of that would look like if in a bad way for how it would affect like the low man on the totem pole. But I guess the low man, on the totem pole is going to make less anyway, because they're not going to, yeah, I do think that model would probably help smaller artists more than bigger artists though. Right. You know, because it, because it's like your subscription, you know, the Spotify's cut gets taken off the top and then mm-hmm. whatever's left over is divvied up. That I mean, that's an interesting. Wow. I can't even imagine like the coding it would take. To <laughs> I'm like sure. Yeah. Up. I can't even uh, imagine. But yeah, you know, I there's definitely ways to improve upon the current system. Um, and I am all for someone who has a better mind for that kind of thing coming up with it. Uh and trying to implement it but yeah as long as this is the system you know you have to work with like we have to work within it and if that means in order to make any substantial streaming income you have to set your goals to in the millions of streams every month and that's that's the goal and that's what we're you know that's what i'm working towards you've streamed a million right yeah uh, i'm closing in on my two and a half million that so first I'm, million they say is the hardest to make so don't worry. Yes. No, grow no. exponentially from here. Definitely took a long time to hit that first million. I mean, did it though? Like <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it was two, two and a half years. I think it took me to get there. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, that's solid. I mean, we stick, you stick with that something, you know, and you're good at it. So obviously it's like you have a good product that you can put out. So you have that to stand behind and then, you know, have people, Say, hey, stream the chillest all day or day. But yeah, I mean, it's with the go to go back to the Spotify thing. It's um, us, us musicians. I feel like we don't have we don't have like the central hub of of people that like the governing body of musicians everywhere that that is going to lobby and stick up for for what we have going on, like. Would you say that, I mean, you did this all your, yourself, you know, it's as a musician, you got to book your own stuff. You have to follow up with people to get your own gigs. You're your own business. So it's like when it comes to something like that, when you're kind of trying to go against a, 
a big corporation to really make some real change, then, I mean, do you know who to go to? <laughs> no, it's it's I really, I, I feel like that's part of the issue is that there's no like larger organizing happening to like really make this happen. And I also feel like, you know, the issue is this has to be taken up in like government in order yeah, that's what to do, do anything. And half of the people in the government don't even understand the internet, let alone understand like the intricacies <laughs> of like streaming and music and the music industry and the technology industry. And like, there's no chance. They don't even understand how Facebook works. Cause you're so old. <laughs> well, it's, so it's old. real. It's real though. That's bad. So, That's bad. you know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I feel like it's hopefully going to get better at some point you know we can't i mean i think we're we also came from like this golden age of cds where like production cost of cds was nothing and they charged 20 bucks for an album and in order to listen to the single you had to buy the album (laughs) so like you know that yeah this is the complete opposite of that (laughs) imagine that imagine oh my god just like how life-changing like uh how, imagine the the numbers that you're doing on Spotify, and if you were to sell that same amount of albums like per it, week or per per month, it would like, be crazy. Like that kind of money is crazy, insane. You know, but that you know, there there. I, I mean, that was obviously best for the artists, but for the consumer, that was pretty terrible. I was actually talking to someone yesterday, and I was like, when I first started playing like in cover bands, yeah, there was no streaming, there was no. There was, I don't even know if there was Napster or anything like that. So like if I had to learn a song for a gig, I had to go buy the entire album so I yeah. could hear that song and learn the song. Yeah. And I was like, or, how did I like <laughs> Or do you go to Borders Books and just hope that it's one of the samples? And, <laughs> and then you put on the the disgusting headphones and you just be like, okay, yeah, yeah write out my chart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, that's so true, man. I didn't even think about that. Like if you're it's expensive to be a cover it, band musician. It was crazy. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine how people did it like in the days before. If you had to like learn a song off an actual record, mm-hmm. rewinding it every couple seconds, like how <laughs> that would be impossible. Imagine playing with a new artist and they didn't give you like a new, like an actual set uh, of songs that they were going to play and you had to just go in and learn the whole catalog. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> learned all these songs that you never would ever play. Oh, that would be a disaster. It'd be yeah. terrible. What a waste <laughs> of time. Oh my God. I know oh my God. I never even thought of it that way. No, but I mean, it's, it's obviously not better for us as artists, but the interim in between that was like the Napster period, which was horrible, horrible. So I feel like at least this is better than that. And maybe we're working towards like a correction, moving us back in the, pre-napster times but yeah that makes me the whole time make made me feel bad for lars ulrich because <laughs> i mean you know he's not a very likable character <laughs> but he's you know he was right he he was he saw yeah. where he saw where it was going and the generation that was downloading this music was a lot louder than him <laughs> and other people that may or may not have understood what was going to happen and I mean, like we just said, if you were selling that many records and making that kind of money, I'd be pretty scared, too. And and it all went away. It all went away. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to he had 
a, a point and and he was one of the guys that got labeled as like just party pooper you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard it's hard to feel bad for someone who already has that much money when they're like no i'm not gonna have millions of dollars but yeah yeah uh, you know like like the neil young thing it's like you guys all realize he literally just made 150 million dollars on his whole catalog don't listen no. to neil young <laughs> he, he already made the money he, he does not care especially like you know when you think i think they put the numbers out he was doing like 1.5 million streams a month or something that's nothing that's nothing. like financially he doesn't need that like couple thousand dollars a month <laughs> no no i mean that's nothing especially for an artist like him yeah no i mean it's something for an indie artist if i had 1.5 million streams a month i would be like this is amazing (laughs) hell yeah but for him like if he he has millions of dollars so what does he need a couple thousand bucks a month coming in you know yeah no that's true yeah it's like he can afford to take a stand yeah um yeah that's just interesting do you miss playing you miss playing out yeah i do i mean i think it depends like when it gets super busy i'm like oh i wish it wasn't as busy and then as soon as there's not that many gigs i'm like i kind of miss playing all these gigs <laughs> yeah that's a balance but, uh, right? but you know last year was great it was pretty one of the busiest years i've ever had i feel like everyone's kind of playing catch up how do your how i mean your kids are are older than mine so how is does that affect them how is the last couple of years affect have you noticed a change or has, yeah has it i mean not been that big of a deal for them or you know, last year, not this current school year, but the year before was all, you know, remote school for them. And that was kind of tough. Yeah. You know, having a first grader in remote school for two or three hours a day is like, he can't, he can't sit on a zoom for two or three hours. It's like too much for the attention span of a six-year-old. Yeah. I was going to ask you how old, how old first grade is. Yeah. yeah, So it was like, you know, they, they, and then they would do, they would do half of the schoolwork in those two or three hours. And then the other half of the day was like, here's a ton of assignments that you have to do on your own, which means that I was basically doing. You're the teacher. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how to effectively teach math and reading to a six-year-old. That's I have no skill set in that area. Dude, if this so, happened when, when like if Ethan was in school and this was happening, oh my God, he, we, he would have been one of the kids that fell way behind because yeah. I, I can't do I. I did not do well in math and science and stuff in school. And uh, I can't even imagine if I had to teach, teach that. That's, that's so hard. So it it was, it was tough, but uh, you know, and I think also just being home like 24 hours a day, just takes like kids want to be social and they want to play and it was too much, but um, and mom and dad want some damn peace and quiet. Yeah. You know, it's trying to get it. I I kind of moved all of my like work time to after bedtime. And like, by the time I'm up with them at six or seven and we do a full day of remote school and dinner and bedtime, like I'm my, I'm not productive anymore at that point in the day at eight 30 at night. Yeah. It's tough to get creative. I mean, yeah, there's there's that fine line of like, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I always feel more creative at night. Like I, I have always, on that i feel like your brain lets go a little bit and Mm -hmm. uh and you're able to to just kind of uh create a little more freely um but yeah once once you've been with the kid all day all you want to do is just like 
go to sleep or, or just sit down and watch a movie, veg out a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and that's tough, man. That's how that used to be for me too. Like my, I used to, my absolute most productive time of the day was like 10 PM to 2 AM. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would just like, I was like in the perfect mindset to just like no distractions, super quiet, just to like, no one write, around. write or record or just like do you know that was my time but now it's like i can't do that if i have to get up at six so oh my god and yeah and just <laughs> just that time that time of day just looming over you at night you're just like everything is gonna change at 6 a.m yeah <laughs> it's so like... it's weird i i've never been a morning person but now i feel like my absolute like most productive time of day is like 9 a.m. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. That's why, that's why I do these things. I started, you know, I, I, I booked these things on Thursdays now mm-hmm. and, um, that's because that's the day that Ethan, my son goes to daycare. My wife's mm-hmm. at work. I have the whole house to myself. Yeah. So it's like, I gotta like get two or three of these done every Thursday. And then, yeah the nighttime after bedtime becomes like my editing time or working on a new tune, um, of my own or working on a new carbon leaf thing or practicing, you know, Mm -hmm. on the practice pad and stuff like that. So that's like how I've had to divvy up my time. Yeah. And, um, it's good. It kind of keeps you a little bit more, uh, it definitely for me, like it keeps me more organized in my calendar for sure. Like I am, you know, now that those times are scheduled and regimented, I actually, I know I have to get as much done in that small amount of time as possible. That's good. Definitely. Like you know, I agree. I feel like finding, like having a, a very small window to do yeah. your work means like when it's time to work, like I just go, I'm like Focus, no distractions. Yeah. I I have three hours. I got to get this done right now. So whereas like before kids as a musician, daytime i was just like whatever i have the whole day to do video games bro i gotta i gotta learn like four songs for this weekend's gig and i have eight hours like um whatever i can (laughs) yeah i'll do a little chunk here a little chunk there (laughs) i'm gonna hang out for seven hours and get it all done in the last the last can i watch can i do this and also watch the entire star wars trilogy today maybe (laughs) (laughs) that's one of my favorite games at the end of the day is like how many episodes can i get in it's always that last one where you're just like but i'm not really watching anything good right now yeah so I I need something new. I tried watching Pam and Tommy, but it was so ridiculous. I can't even imagine. (laughs) I was just like, what the fuck? My wife and I started watching it together. And there's a scene where his, his wiener starts talking to him. (laughs) It's like, what is happening? It's kind of, it's funny. It's like, it turns a, 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 a ridiculous thing that happened into like a funny story. Apparently he's he's a real piece of work that Tommy Lee. So. Have you been doing any um like actual tracking for any other other songs have have you been working on anything with like Roots or Kellogg or anything like that from Yeah, me? I've been it's, it's been kind of good like it kind of comes and goes over the course of this last year or two. I mean, everybody has been I think maybe a little cautious with spending money on recording yeah. and stuff just cuz they don't know when the actual like gig income and merch income is coming back and everything but when the cash flow will be 
good again. Yeah. So, but I, I've been, you know, I would say every month or two, I get called to do some remote tracking for a song or two from an artist. Uh, so that's been kind of cool. And it's been, I actually almost prefer it to like being in the studio. Cause I feel like I can just like really get creative and not worry about time constraints, not worry about like yeah what gear I have there. It's like, I literally have everything that I own here. Plus all my software It's like, I can take as much time as I need to kind of find the right sounds and yeah. do a hundred takes if I want to want to find exactly what I want to play. So it's, it's been kind of cool. That's my favorite part about at home tracking is that you can, you don't have you don't have the stress of like you feeling like you're taking someone's time if you want to take mm-hmm. an extra couple takes just to see see what happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, that that's I mean it not everyone's lucky enough to have the setup to to be able to do it. Um yeah. you know, hopefully if if kids out there listening <laughs> are, you know, go get yourself a, a small cheap like interface and and just do it. Just just get started you know it's so fun it's so, so yeah much fun no it's it's awesome i mean and you know obviously i miss being in a studio and playing a recording on an actual piano or like right. you know if, if they have a Rhodes in the studio or a b3 or something but you know this is close what's um, your favorite favorite uh instrument to play is it is it like a, a grand piano yeah i would say a grand piano okay um i've been in some studios where i'm like oh i wish i had hundred grand or whatever it costs to buy this beautiful Steinway or this mm. Yamaha they have here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I feel like know. most, most pianists would say would have that answer. I've never, I've never, I guess I've never really asked many people, but it's, it's, uh, you know, I can't imagine someone saying like, my favorite thing is like a beat up old Wurlitzer. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, that I do really enjoy doing that on the couple of occasions I've been in a studio where they have like, uh, like really well-maintained whirly or something that it's super fun to just kind of get to actually do that. Cause otherwise I'm just doing it over here on the keyboard, which is cool and it sounds fun, but it's like, you don't get the same yeah. reaction. Yeah. It's not the same range of, of dynamics. It's not the same like no. feel the weight of the keys and all that. Yeah. It's, it's no, I mean, when you hit maximum velocity in the software, that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Did I ever tell you, uh, it just, this just reminded me about like playing, a, um, a grand piano. I was playing at Rockwood music hall and mm-hmm. the, the grand piano was on the stage mm-hmm. and we were playing a song. And then all of a sudden I feel air go by my, my like face and it's like and then something smacked against the like that uh that red velvety wall behind me uh-huh and i look up i'm like what the fuck just happened and then <laughs> the piano player is looking back at me and they're like mortified about what just happened one of the piano strings broke and mm. flew out and almost like took my eye out that is so dangerous <laughs> yeah it was i i haven't sat next to a and played next to a grand piano since <laughs> like that, i've been i've been completely scarred that that has happened to me in college i i popped some strings in the practice rooms but it was always the high strings which are not nearly as like scary <laughs> yeah this was definitely below middle c yeah no those big strings are like those those are a little scary i would not be happy to have that happen while I'm standing near it. 
I I'm I'm surprised that it's happened to you. I had never heard of it ever happening to anyone before. I think <laughs> I it's just, just like, a matter what? of like older pianos that are like used a lot. Yeah, and that was used. Strings just get a little day. brittle. People bang on those things. Yeah. Uh, I every time I play, that's I'm I'm sure you were probably talking about stage two at Rockwood. Yes. Um, which that piano is in a little better shape, but every time I play at stage one, I literally after the gig come home with like my fingertips are bruised because i was really? like, playing in order to like get over the band because they can't the speakers are like right above the piano so they can't crank it right in the speakers so in order to like get above the band while you're playing the acoustic piano i feel like i'm just like playing so much harder than i ever should really be playing that's a difficult room for a full band to play in yeah for that very absolutely. reason because absolutely the speakers can't get the vocal over the band um same thing with the piano and the drums are on the floor yeah it's it's definitely an interesting yeah it's a fun it's like a fun energy and a fun environment but then like if i can't imagine if uh, many of those full band shows sound that great it's probably why they try to get the good bands like into stage two as quickly as they possibly can yeah definitely i mean the sound the whole situation in stage two is a whole it's great step up like it is one of my favorite places to play yeah me too are there any um are there any venues in new york that have uh that i may not have heard about that didn't make it through the pandemic that you enjoy or kind of kind of a place that you know you wish would have made it or you know something like that you know i don't really i'm sure there are but i feel like i've been like a little removed from that scene in the last year or two so okay yeah i don't necessarily know i mean all the big ones that i have played at uh a lot in the past i think are still around so so i'm not sure i'm sure some of the smaller like you know acoustic venues and stuff some of them might have had a little bit of a harder time keeping it together yeah um, i always think about the venues that have like new owners and they're so excited to open up their place and then the pandemic mm-hmm. happened and all of their dreams just were crushed <laughs> That's horrible like, especially like horrible. you take out a huge loan or putting your life savings into a new place and then like nothing you have nothing i don't even know how that works it's like is there insurance for that kind of thing like it's you're just completely fucked it's yeah, like that's it, what do you do it's horrible i can't imagine being in that place i'm sure it's like you're already in a rough situation trying to open a venue in the first place it's like that's yeah. that's not that cannot be an easy thing to do no. um I always had dreams of like wanting to open a venue just because, you know, you play certain places and when you walk into a venue that's really good, it's like Mm -hmm. a big, it's like a game changing thing, you know, Uh, places like space and Evanston, you walk into Mm -hmm. that green room and it's so comfortable and there's a, there's an amazing, um, there's a, a studio back there and the room sounds great and everything. It's like being in a place like that. And then as opposed to being in, a completely horrible space, which there's yeah. plenty of them out there. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. I had this thought like, I'm going to open a venue and it's only going to be all the good stuff. And it's, it's going to make so much money. And I'm going to be so happy forever. <laughs> I didn't do it. There's no chance I would ever feel like that's a thing I want to take under. <laughs> so much work and so much stress. I can't imagine being a venue owner. Yeah. Um, what do you have coming up as far as, uh, when is the next chillest coming out volume 
which volume did you say it was? Uh, this will be my 22nd. 22nd. That's so many. Uh, it's awesome. Um, and, February, it's Dis- and it's Disney. Disney will be February 25th. Um, and I, my next two are in the works already. I'm like halfway done with both of them. Really? What's the other um, one going to be? The one after that will be kind of, I do like a Chillist covers series, which is just kind of like whatever happens to not fit into a theme. Yeah. Just kind of random stuff. So that'll be my next one. That'll be volume four of that series. Nice. Um, and then I, my first album of originals I'm actually working on right now too. So, Oh, original, um, uh, just piano music. Yep. Just like original instrumental piano music. Great. That's awesome. Um, so that's been kind of fun, which is, it's been like a nice change to work on that instead of just kind of thinking about what would connect with people as far as pop music and whatever else. Um, are you going to release it under the same, under the chillest? Yeah, I think I am. I feel like, you know, rather than putting it out under my own name or something, that would mean starting from zero right. on that. And I feel like at least this way, there's an audience already that is there that will hopefully uh, check it out. But so far, I've, I've put a bunch of them up on YouTube already, and they've been pretty well received. So hopefully when the album comes out... Uh, People, that's awesome people like it yeah i'm gonna I'm, i can't wait to listen to them um now playlists are a huge deal on spotify mm-hmm. um what do you do or what can you do what's in your power to do to get on some of these playlists and are they playlists that just belong to regular listeners or are they just bigger um you know, more follow. How, how do you get onto one of these more followed playlists? Yeah, I uh, I love this conversation because I feel like this is kind of the entirety of how I've actually been able to grow um, right. my own music. Every time you release an album, you can uh, submit to the editorial playlist team on, at Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never 21 albums and they have not put me on a Spotify editorial playlist yet. So I'm not putting any hopes in that. I hope that, you know, I'm going to keep submitting every time, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So if anyone from Spotify is listening, put me on one of those, come on. <laughs> but, uh, but um, are there, is there like certain criteria that you need to meet to be able to be considered for that kind of thing? Or is no. it just like you, you submit it and whatever happens, happens? Yeah. Well, you go into your like Spotify for artists profile and you just go to your upcoming music and it just has a button there and you just click on it and you kind of pitch your song tell them a little bit about the genre and the instrumentation and then you know maybe they'll do something maybe they won't i mean luckily they i have like a this is the chillest uh spotify spotify editorial playlist which actually gets a decent amount of plays um which is kind this of this cool. is a this is a playlist uh that you have created no this is spotify once you have a certain i guess a certain amount of music or a certain amount of listeners they will create a playlist called this is and then the oh, artist name. I gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. So like all, you know, I'm sure you've seen probably like, you know, this is yeah. Taylor this, Swift or this whatever, is you know, these like, this yeah, is. exactly. So like the, once I got to a certain point, I guess they, and I think they just rotate your 50 songs of yours onto that playlist. Yep. Um, so that's been cool, but I, it's all been, it's been two things. One is listener playlists. Um, like individual listener playlists. I think I'm up to over 30,000 listener playlists that I've been added to, which is like huge. I get a ton of plays just from people that have their 
either private playlists that they listen to or playlists they've created that I don't even know. These are not people I think that even make playlists because they're like part of an industry playlist thing. They just make playlists and then people find them and listen on there. Um, so that's been pretty huge. And then I have some of my own playlists that have done pretty well and people have kind of found them and um, follow them and, I, you know, listen to all of my music on those playlists too. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I know a lot of people are always about like submit to every single playlister. And if you need to buy your way onto playlists, I, I feel like that you're, you're setting yourself up for maybe a little spike. And then as soon as they take that song off that playlist, your whole profile crashes back down to yeah as soon as what your money paid for runs out then. yeah so it's to me it's like i think kind of hoping that the listeners find it and add it and then working on your own playlist and i know it's different for me as someone who's like recording mostly covers mm -hmm. than an original artist but i think you know original artists can do the same thing just put your put your music on a playlist of your own with a bunch of your favorite artists that you think fit what you do and people might find it and yeah. then be like, wait a minute, who's that guy that's on there that I don't know next to all these other artists that are my favorite artists, right. you know? Right. Um, yeah, so. I've been, I've been delaying, not delaying, but um, we Carbon Leaf, we want to create more playlists and stuff on Spotify. And, mm -hmm. and I, I just, it, it's, I haven't made it a priority and I really should. Um, no, it's, and, and you know, I recently read a thing about like, if you are trying to get on the uh what is it called it's not it's like similar artists or like related yeah. artists i think you know so you show up on other artists profiles in that little category it's like people are like, also listening to yeah if 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 you put yourself on a playlist of similar sized artists or slightly larger artists and like you can get a little traction on that playlist all of a sudden a lot of people are listening to you and those artists, you're going to show up on their profile. Yeah. That's which, true. you know, and so it's all just like this organic, the organic growth is the biggest, uh, the biggest thing. Cause if once you What's get the into best? the algorithm, yeah, that's the, the, or like you said, like if you, it, it's not worth it, it's, it's worth it to pay for it. If you need like an addition, uh, like a bump if, if you have something new and you want a little bit of a bump and you want to create some kind of buzz around yourself sure that's that people do it all the time they're they're pr campaigns basically mm -hmm. and um you know if if you have something that you can get on your friends playlist and by word of mouth you know it's that organic growth doesn't usually have diminishing returns it's like it's it's a very it it, it tends to grow organically <laughs> yeah no for sure because you know all of the those algorithmic playlists on spotify and apple music like once you're in there they just continue it's Keep all cycling yeah 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 once once you're in it's like the the streams are just gonna go mm -hmm. yeah it's so the hardest cool. part is getting getting to that point that's the hardest right working right. your way into that system of, of similar artists but yeah. If someone, if you were to start again, if you were at, you know, um, if you're at album number one, is there anything you would have done differently or have you been pretty happy with, with the way it's gone? I mean, the I, there are definitely some things I would have done differently just cause I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, so mm -hmm. that first year was just like put things out and 
maybe hope that someone stumbled across my Instagram post or something, which doesn't work that well. Um, yeah. But the, uh, you know, I think the playlist thing is huge. If I was starting now, I'd probably immediately make a couple playlists for specific uses for like, you know, like right now, um, some of my bigger playlists are like, uh, I have a bedtime piano covers playlist and I have like a relaxing piano playlist Mm -hmm. and just being like, these are, this is the best time. Like when you want to do this thing, this is what this playlist is for. So like if you were an original artist and you were like, you know, this is like after work, like wind down music or something. And you named your playlist that and put your music with a bunch of other similar artists. Right. You know, that's what I would do immediately if i was starting over um right and see if i could kind of get some people to listen to it post about that playlist awesome man well that was an hour fucking flew by (laughs) yeah well thank you so much for having me on this yeah man thanks for doing it i really appreciate i think i think it's fascinating like uh, like the success that you've had with with your albums and the chillest and um just that whole world it's a it's a difficult it's it's a lot uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. It's it's easy to to start and get into like you have platforms like DistroKid and 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 the, the digital um, distribution platforms. It's it's easy to get out there and and put your stuff out there. It's just like you just got to keep going. You have to make a good product. You have to get on. Um, it has to sound. It has to sound good. You have to you know have it have it look good like i like the aesthetic of the chillis it has like the 80s kind of uh, the colors like the pink and and stuff like that i think that's really awesome it's 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 a cool professional looking thing that people would want to listen to um so yeah it's fa- it's fascinating um and oh one other thing i wanted to ask you mm-hmm. do you register the stuff to uh, your originals so how does it work with the distribution and uh, BMI or ASCAP or something like that, if you want to have your stuff copyrighted, does the distribution kind of all-in-one take care of that kind of thing? I'll have you explain it. No, they don't really take care of that. Um, I mean, all of my originals are registered with BMI, but uh, since they're not, they're only on YouTube right now, and this is my first album of originals, like, it's, I don't know, it's, I don't think it's, nothing's happening yet, um, as far as that goes. I haven't, copyrighted them yet uh you know i do think that's kind of maybe a little bit of an important thing i do think it's easier to do once you have a full album to copyright than to deal with each individual song as they come Mm. um but again i you know i I think a lot of times your timeline of release kind of covers you a little bit oh yeah i mean so it's like a digital footprint on it you know to me it's like the minute i write it it's on YouTube with a date that says I put it out on this date. So it's like that at least like shows that that existed. If that there's, you own it. yeah, that I, I had it there first before someone else, I guess. Um, right. But yeah, I think once the album's done, I'll probably actually go about the way to legally copyright all the music. Do you belong but, to, to BMI or ASCAP or anything? Yeah. BMI. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. Me too. It's always like, you know, why am I, why am I doing this? <laughs> but I don't have a lot of, a lot of credits on anything. Yeah. Well, and I think that's becomes more helpful once, yeah, some bigger projects or like once you're like the licensing things are happening and they can track all that down for you. Uh, 
if it's yeah. TV and movies and stuff like that. But BMI is one of those sites where I really hope that my computer remembered my password. Because <laughs> every time, every time I forget, I it's a no whole idea. thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what my BMI number is. I have no idea what my password. You know, it's like I go into it maybe once every every five years or something because I have I think four credits that I make no <laughs> money on which is which is pretty hilarious um but you know maybe more someday we'll see you never know you yeah never know if you need drums on on uh, no you'd never need drums <laughs> 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 or you just go like this do, do, do. <laughs> I am I'm a I'm a pretty uh accomplished keyboard drummer <laughs> pretty good finger drummer that sounds weird <laughs> uh dude so great to talk to you and catch up thanks for doing it i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me yeah enjoy the rest of your day all right you too thank you for checking out that conversation with jason it's really great to have him if you want to send any questions or anything into the podcast it's after the gig pod at gmail.com merch store is after the gig pod.com and you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash after the gig uh enjoy the music I will see you next week, episode 95. See you.